coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy hump day to you. Thank you for listening on the America One Radio app at AmericaOneRadio.com or wherever you podcast. Uh, and if you don't listen on Wednesday, well, then happy Thursday to you. Or whenever you listen. I, I say that because uh, America One Radio does replay the show, uh, I think it's like 8 to 9 a.m. weekday mornings. So if you listen, if you're say you're listening now, and by now I mean 8 a.m., <laughs> you're like, why does he keep talking a day late? That's what happens. So uh, that's me telling you, hey, you know, you can listen to this the night before, right? Just thought I'd put that out there. Uh, we've got lots to cover today and going to be talking uh, with Andrew Heaton, principal and founder at Sagamore Hill Consulting, also a senior advisor for the Jericho Richardson for Congress campaign. Although we're not going to talk all that much about her congressional campaign, mostly because she has no f-ing idea where she's going to be campaigning because the congressional map is, uh, is it, is it, is it what it was? Is it what, it, what they passed? Will a special master step in? We will talk about that. He and I will talk about redistricting, uh, where he thinks uh, those three maps will go if they'll just get rubber stamped by federal court judge Steve Jones, who sought the redraw in the special session that c- concludes uh, this week, or if uh, he thinks the special master's coming in. I also want to talk to him about this. The State House of Representatives passed a resolution today by a 144 to 5 vote supporting the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. 144 to 5 vote. It's kind of a forced... And again, this special session wasn't about denouncing Hamas, wasn't about supporting Israel, uh, wasn't about affirming their support for the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. It was all about redrawing maps. But, you know, while we're here, why don't we... Do some things, plant some, you know, little little bombs for the uh, opposition party to have to wander into some little landmines and. Boom. 144 to five vote, y'all. I know of one of the no votes. That was uh, Sarah Draper, who represents Atlanta, uh, and uh, or represents a portion of Atlanta. She was pretty outspoken and uh, actually said in the uh, article the Atlanta Journal Constitution's uh, Mark Nice filed earlier today. Uh, If Democrats vote yes on this issue, we give no weight to the legitimate concerns about the center and about our right to protest. But if we vote no on this, you'll say we're against public safety. That is Sarah Draper. She said, uh, you've probably got the attack ads drafted up and ready to print for 2024. And by her and four others who voted against it while the rest were like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Ugh. I worry about that. And I want to ask uh, uh, Andrew Heaton when, when he's on the show, is this going to cause any sort of lag or drag amongst the grassroots? I mean, I mean, I only knew about this vote because I saw on social media there were people just howling uh, angry about this. And, uh, you know, promises of, if not retribution, just no interest in pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, doing the grassroots stuff to help get those Democrats and perhaps other Democrats elected. We already know that on the extreme left flank, 
that there is a problem. Speaking of uh, Hamas, there is a problem. The uh, is Israel Hamas uh, situation. It's it's so volatile inside the coalition on the left side of the political spectrum here in this country that even Bernie Sanders is catching flack. Only because, by what I can figure, and I'm a Bernie guy, y'all. I'm, I mean, I'm lots of Bernie people, lots of Bernie fans. Like I'm, I'm in touch with a lot of those folks. The only thing I can gather is he won't use the word ceasefire. He he keeps calling out Israel for their aggression, but he won't use the word ceasefire. I I don't I don't quite understand uh, the blowback he's getting. I mean, the man is a he's a Jewish American, and when I say Jewish, I mean he's kind of Jewish. He's not a religious person, but. <laughs> Please don't give me any flag for that. I don't. I don't have an, any Semitic bone in my body. Um, anyway, so what he says carries a lot of weight, and the fact that he says what he does, and he's not a rubber stamp for Israel, and somehow doesn't get censured by the right for that because Rashida Tlaib, you know, she's a moving target. Oh, which reminds me, the whole Marjorie Taylor Greene versus Rich McCormick thing. Have y'all heard about this? So apparently, uh, a few days ago, you know, Marge, uh, Marge has kind of lost her clout uh, inside the House when Kevin McCarthy, who, by the way, announced he's leaving office at the end of the year, we'll get to that too, uh, was uh, bounced from House Majority Leader. It seems that that's why Kevin McCarthy is leaving too. He's like, I'm fine. If I'm not going to be House Majority Leader, I'm leaving. Uh, anyway, so Marjorie wanted to uh, pass a resolution condemning Rashida Tlaib for... I don't know, being anti-Israel or not pro-Israel, you know, having the audacity to be a Palestinian American representative with some concerns about Israel's uh, alleged killing of 15,000 or so Gaza citizens as it invades Gaza to stamp out Hamas. Well, uh, the resolution, for whatever reason, didn't get enough Republican support, so it didn't pass. And then days later... Rich McCormick drafted a similar resolution, a little more finely worded, I guess. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Somebody more eloquently writing than Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was a noted author, by the way. Her book is out. It's not selling well. Shocker. But then again, if, if you're going to have a fan base, as Marjorie Taylor Greene does, and you want to write a book to that fan base... Shouldn't it be a small book with lots of pictures? Maybe some coloring. I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> so anyway, um, Rich's resolution got more votes, got more support, and Margie didn't like that, and she and Rich caught up, and I, I guess Rich was just trying to give her the 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 the, the two hand shoulder, uh, suck it up, kid. You'll be fine, or I, I don't know exactly what words were saying were, were said, but uh, she didn't like being shaken. She didn't like being shaken. I guess she's okay uh, stalking someone through their door mail hole, or following a school shooting victim several blocks with social media rolling and yelling and being combative. But don't grab her by the shoulders and give her a little a little shake. Don't do that. 
Now, in truth, this actually happened a while ago, but it's just now coming out. She apparently tried to run this uh, by House leadership first, and I guess she's not happy that there's been no repercussions. Um, Rich McCormick releasing a statement. Both of these, by the way, Georgia congresspeople, they can't get along with each other, and they expect, actually, they don't expect their political opposition to try and get along with him. It, it's it's their way of the highway, but they can't get along with each other. Uh, anyway, like feral cats in a sack. Uh, Rich McCormick's statement, I understand why there would be a lot of raw emotion following the censure vote, given that her censure was tabled and mine passed. Oh, dude. <laughs> My intention was to encourage her by making a friendly gesture. I said to her, at least we can have an honest discussion. Was it one of those, at least we can have an honest discussion? <laughs> to which she said she did not appreciate that. For that, I immediately apologized and have not spoken to her since. It was actually last week, according to CNN, that Marjorie took her complaint to Speaker Mike Johnson's office, stating that uh, McCormick grabbed her by the shoulders and shook her. Politico says this interaction took place about a month ago on the House floor. And they, citing two people familiar with the matter, also reported that McCormick, quote, put his hands on her shoulders, shook her, and said he could at least have an honest conversation with her. This feels like one of those situations where they could bring Cecily Strong back from Saturday Night Live fame to do a Marjorie Taylor Greene little cameo. Because, I mean, who else is going to play her now that Cecily uh, left the show last year? Hmm. Nonetheless, I, I fully pre- you heard it here. Maybe not first, but you heard it here. I'm predicting Saturday Night Live will have a skit featuring Marjorie Taylor Greene getting shook. This is where those of us on the left have to have this conundrum, right? We are supposed to believe all women. The, the woman, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who doesn't believe E. Jean Carroll's claim that Donald Trump raped her, however, has now accused another man of touching and shaking her inappropriately. And by golly, we are to believe all women, even that woman. Okay, back to Kevin McCarthy, who used to run that circus. Remember, I will never give up. I care too much about this country. <laughs> 28 past the hour, breaking news out of Capitol uh. Hill. Just in the last few minutes, Congressman Kevin McCarthy, who previously served as House Speaker, has just penned an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal saying that he is leaving the House of Representatives at the end of this year. First, George Santos, who's now in Cameo, doing video and, what is it, like voice recording greetings? Oh, my gosh. I should have done that. Yeah, I should have. I should totally do that, right? No, nobody would, not, not even more than George, or as much, close, fine. Um, so yeah, first George Santos is gone, and now Kevin McCarthy says, I'm taking my ball and going home uh, at the end of the year. And so, the, you know, the, the, the GOP had like, I think it was a nine-vote lead uh, margin of majority in the House, 
shrinking down to seven. There will be a special election called. Governor Gavin Newsom has already said he will do that. Uh, pretty unlikely that a Democrat wins that, but special elections have low turnout. So if they can get a candidate that can drive some turnout, you, you just never know, right? The Santos seat, uh, uh, there will also be a special election for that. And that's one of those that Democrats shouldn't have lost. And I think some New York Democrats were asleep at the switch there. And so um, l- look for this uh, this house margin to get even more thin. Sorry, y'all. I- I'm this nearly 50-year-old man who has lived in this country all his life. And I've, I just... <laughs> I, I can't remember a time when our congressional representation was just so batshit crazy, man. Phew. All the more reason why the maps have to be right, right? Well, we'll talk more about that later. Back after this, the Ron Show returns. Andrew Heaton joins us second half of the show to discuss redistricting and more. Here on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Wednesday. Tomorrow, by the way, I'm going to be joined by Matt Stiggle. From the Cobb Transit Advisory Board. He's a local marketing guru, transit and sustainability advocate. We're going to talk transit tomorrow, y'all. There's plenty of transit to talk. Not OTP transit, Cobb needs it. Gwinnett needs it. E- eventually, for Forsyth County, because of a hockey arena, right? No, anyway, uh, <laughs> Clayton needs it. Come on, Clayton County, get with it, y'all. Um, so we'll talk with him about that. ITP, we're, we're battling over the original design of the Beltline. By the way, Ryan Gravel uh, reached out to him. Going to get him on the show Hopefully in the next couple of weeks. If not, we'll have him first year. Looking forward to that. Um, Andrew Heaton joins us second half of the show. He of uh, Sagamore Hill Consulting, also a senior advisor for the Jericho Richardson for Congress campaign. We'll talk about, well, a lot of stuff today, honestly. Uh, redistricting, uh, the Cop City resolution that passed in the State House today. 144 to 5, y'all. Um, Marjorie versus McCormick and uh, George Santos, Kevin McCarthy. We'll talk uh, with him about all of those things. We haven't given enough attention to the oft-indicted former president who is running to reclaim the office and first rest the nomination of the GOP. There is a debate tonight. We'll have audio, and I'm sure it'll be fun. There's only four candidates showing up to this thing, though. All right, I'm going to go ahead and guess. Uh, I know it's Nikki Haley. Um... We know Ron DeSantis will show up. I'm going to guess Vivek and Chris Christie, whose niece, by the way, got in some trouble. Who is it? Uh, My my friend Daryl texted me that uh, Chris Christie's niece. This is the first time I've heard his name in so long. Uh, His niece was uh, charged in a drunken scuffle, according to politicalwire.com, and played the do you know who I am card. If you have to say... I'm the niece of dot, dot, dot. No, nobody knows who you are. Actually, if you have to play the card, period, obviously the person who is arresting you or detaining you or doing whatever either doesn't know who you are or doesn't give a shit. What we should give a about is this guy. Listen to the answer to this question in a recent town hall with his good buddy, Sean Hannity. We almost have to go to a break. I want to go back to this one issue, though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you under no circumstances. (laughs) You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. (laughs) Except for? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, drill, drill. That's not not retribution. I'm going to be... I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, 
<laughs> we love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that, okay? that, that sounds to me like you're going back to the policies when you were president. <laughs> That's All right. exactly Take a break. Right. Just getting started. We're in beautiful Davenport, Iowa. Donald Trump with us for the hour as Hannity continues. Thank you for being with us. So is that all he's going to be a dictator about? Inquiring minds want to know. But Hannity gave him another chance to clear this up. And now before that, you said if you've been wronged and you used other words as well. But I want to be very, very clear on this. To be clear, do you in any way have any plans whatsoever, if reelected president, to abuse power, to break the law? to use the government to go after people? You mean like they're using right now? So, in the history of our country, what's happened to us, again, has never happened before. Over nonsense, over nothing, made up charges. I often say Al Capone, he was one of the greatest of all time, if you like criminals. He was a mob boss, the likes of which Scarface, they call him. And he got indicted once. I got indicted four times. I wonder what my father and mother would say looking down. I swear, anymore, you should just print bingo cards or, or maybe just make a shot drinking game. Anytime he says something like, like nobody has ever seen, or biggest in history, or something that has never happened before. At the end of the show, by the way, I have uh, the University of Georgia's uh, 2024 football schedule. It's been leaked, so just spit that out to you. But while we're talking football, football coach Tommy Tuberville has gotten out of the way of those military promotions that he has been stonewalling and blockading for so long now and weakened our military uh, at, at home and abroad. Um, he, he thinks this was a draw, by the way. This is CNN. Senator Tuberville? Yes. Do you have any regrets that you didn't achieve exactly what you set out to do, that the policy is still in place? Yeah, I'm, yeah I, it was pretty much a draw. I mean, yeah. They didn't get what they wanted. We didn't get what we wanted. And you know, it's just, when they when you change the rules, it's hard to it's hard to win. And so they changed the NDA rules. We didn't get to fight for it to leave it in the Senate. And so, just unfortunate, the American people didn't get a voice. Do you mind just stating what you said off camera, real quick? Just what just happened? Yeah, just a bit. Just well, time. we're going. I'm releasing everybody. That's I still right. got a hold on. I think 11 four-star generals. Everybody else is completely released from me. Now, somebody else might. I think some a few other people got holds on one or two or three people. But other than that, it's over. Thank All right. You. Thank, you. Yeah, thank you. sir. Meanwhile, Elizabeth Warren, Senator from Massachusetts. Mr. President, I've stood here as I've listened to Senator Tuberville say that the world is a more dangerous place. He's spoken about how we have weakened our military. Senator Tuberville is right on that. And one of the principal reasons is because of Senator Tuberville's own actions. He has held up hundreds of military nominations, hundreds of our military leaders who have not made it to the posts they were assigned to. It is clear that it was a grave mistake for one senator to hold our military promotion system hostage over his personal disagreement with the Department of Defense policy. We need our commanders in the Pacific to deter China and our service vice chiefs to lead the military. I am relieved that he has released most of his holds, 
but he continues to weaken our military readiness and undermine both recruiting and retention. The Senate should not go home for the holidays until we confirm the remaining nominees. This senator has held up nominations for nearly a year. It undermines our national defense, and it is unfair to our military and to our military families. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm one of these people that thinks that Alabama is such an Alabama or Auburn kind of state. Can we not get a University of Alabama liberal graduate to run against a former Auburn football coach? I, sometimes I think it's that simple, Democrats. Alabama Democrats, are you listening? Find yourself uh, an Alabama graduate liberal to run against the former Auburn football coach who has embarrassed himself in the state. Wait a minute. It says here, former Alabama Senator Doug Jones, who had a seat recently, graduated from the University of Alabama with a Bachelor of Science in Political Science in 1976. Hello. LaRon Show, back in a minute on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Follow The Ron Show on Facebook at The Ron Show Radio. The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, joining me for the rest of the conversation today, we've got a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, my good buddy, Andrew Heaton, principal and founder of Sagamore Hill Consulting and senior advisor for the Jerrica Richardson for Congress campaign. Not that you have any idea where you guys are going to be campaigning <laughs> for the time being. <laughs> How are you, man? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing all right, Ron. Yeah, we um we we've been waiting for weeks to see what maps the legislature would drop in the special session and then they dropped them and they answered they answered few questions and probably raised even more. So yeah, it's been an interesting week or so. We had uh Senator Elena Parent on yesterday who seems to indicate that she she thinks that we'll get some sort of action at the federal court level on these new maps pretty fast. Is that is that your take as well? Yeah, I mean, that's I, I think that's what we see as most likely. I mean, it's pretty clear to us and to most observers, even neutral observers, that especially the congressional maps just do not comply with the, the full spirit of Judge Jones's order, um, specifically around, you know, yes, they created a majority black district on the west side of Metro Atlanta. But he was very clear in his order to not do that at the expense of a opportunity district. Mm -hmm. And that essentially, for all intents and purposes, was referring to, you know, an area like the 7th district. Right. Um, And in fact, what they decided to do was just go ahead and crack Gwinnett all the way up and and turn it into four different congressional districts. So, you know, I just I, I think most people that I've talked to and most people out in the media, both partisan observers, but even neutral observers are, are pretty confident this is going to end up back in the court. And there's a very high likelihood, just like we saw in Alabama, there's a very high likelihood that we're going to see a special master come in. How do you redraw. how do you feel about all three maps? I understand the congressional map looks uh, ripe for a special master, maybe even the state senate map. But there's this, I don't know, it's kind of fifty fifty uh, from from what I read on on social media uh, about the state house uh, map. Yeah, I mean, I like is similar to the congressional map, where where not quite as blatant, but it does still feel like they they failed the. They feel that they failed the true spirit of of what the the both the order and just the the rules around the Voting Rights Act are trying to get at, which is 
you know, once once your population, your especially in this case, when we're talking about the voting population of black voters in, in the state reach a certain point, then that then that population should somewhat see a matched result in terms of their voting power. And what they've done is in both the state Senate and the state house, they've reconfigured and they've renumbered so that they can technically say, well, we created a couple additional majority black districts. But the way they they pull those out of other you know, traditionally Democratic districts and other areas, they they didn't actually increase the voting power of black voters in Georgia to mm-hmm. be commensurate with the population levels. So I, I, I think it's probably a little more murky with those two maps about what will happen with the when they go back to the judge. But, yeah, to my mind, I still think they, they failed to, to truly enact what was being called for in the order. The other thing it seems apparent to me uh, in a couple of these maps anyway is that in order to satisfy the black voter mandate, they took away from other voters of color to make it happen because it it seems like Georgia Republicans are aware the Voting Rights Act doesn't refer to other voters of color. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, you know, that that's really the especially the big question at play you know, with what they did to the the seventh district. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have an area where no, no group has a, a, a majority. Um, and you have about a kind of an even third, third split between white voters, black voters and um, Hispanic voters. Um, and, and, you know, those communities are sounding the alarm and saying, well, you know, we are, we're seeing our voting power decrease with these new maps. And, and, and so I, I do, I think, that is, you're right. The the VRA really does focus on, at least most of the the jurisprudence is focused on the voting power of black voters. Um, but it really does, like, it, it raises a lot of questions about, like, as some of these groups see their population numbers increase mm-hmm. and their voting power increase, I think this is a good question that needs to be start to be addressed now. It's like, what's going to happen down the road and how are we going to address that? And I think what's going to happen out of this, especially with what happened to that, to the opportunity district of the seventh is going to really be telling for how this, this is going to play out down the road. Does this not tee up an opportunity for uh, Georgia Democrats uh, on the whole to pivot towards voters of color and say, listen, I know, I know we've been losing you uh, incrementally over time here uh, over some issues here and there, but do you not see that the other side is just looking to silence you altogether? It is an opportunity, but I think it's an opportunity that's only going to work if we're ready to have that full-throated conversation. Because at the same time, um, especially in uh, the uh, you know Hispanic voting population, and some of the leadership out of those groups, you know, we're already we've already been having the conversation of we're not just here for your votes. We're not just one issue voters. Mm-hmm. You need to start taking us seriously as a party. And so I, I think you're right. There's an opportunity. But I think we as a party need to be ready to have that real conversation about what does that look like? And, and I think especially in certain parts of Georgia, um, uh, the um Asian voting groups uh, are, are wanting to have the same conversation. And I know we, we've been seeing that just in, in some of the most recent elections. They've already been pushing that conversation. We saw it a lot in 22. Like, you know, th- this is a, a, a dramatically growing group of voters in the state. Right. And, right. and those numbers are only continuing to trend up. What are we going to do to sustain that vote long term? And what are we going to do to keep them and not let them continue to bleed. And the, and the Republican Party is being very aggressive, especially when it comes to Hispanic voters. Like, they are being very aggressive. 
And so if we want to have that conversation, we need to be ready to match that energy and say what we're going to be doing long term to invest in those communities to earn their vote. See, I, I see what the Republican Party seems to be trying to do, especially with uh, and again, the Hispanic American voter. They're not a monolith. They're from all over uh, the, 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 the hemisphere. So it's 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 hard to really just lump them into one voting block. Uh, Absolutely. But what I see the GOP trying to do uh, is what I, what I, I've seen them try to do when they try and raise these uh, false flag arguments about trans uh, rights and, and trans girls playing in, in girls sports is to try and to divide and conquer. They, they would come after the LGB and point to the T and say, are you guys with them? And by and large in the LGBTQ community, we, we stick together. There is a little bit more fracture Within voters of color, however, uh, a little bit of, uh, I think, on their parts, uh, the device use of, listen, uh, we'd like to take care of you, but but those guys over there, those folks over there are the problem. Uh, there, There seems to be a little bit of that at play, and it seems to be working. Yeah, and I would say the numbers don't quite bear out to how the Republican Party as a whole and nationally and in states like Georgia there's a lot of trumpeting of, oh, well, we, you know, we're seeing our numbers rise and, mm. and, you know, Donald Trump saw an increase of X percent. It's like, yeah, but it's still a fairly small percent or right. it's not nearly as much as you're touting. And so I think they are definitely overplaying. Now, in some states, it is making some dramatic differences. Uh, and the, the, the biggest case is Florida. Um, you know, the, the, the GOP has made some real inroads, especially with the, the Cuban and Venezuelan expat communities. But that right there goes to the point, like, they're not just doing they're not treating all Hispanic voters as a monolith to right. your point. Like they're going into very specific communities and hitting on specific issues. Well, socialism. Outside, right. Yeah. They're hitting socialism and communism. And I think they're they're having a tougher time. And you're right. They're trying to play some of these social issues playing into a perceived um, deeper sense of cultural conservatism in some of these communities, which is not wholly wrong. But I think they're overstating the advantage they give them, and I think there's still there's definitely still a lot of opportunity for the Democratic Party to say like, okay, we 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 see what's happening, we understand the conversation they're trying to have with you, but at the end of the day, it's all going to be lip service. But the pushback we as a party here is sometimes it feels like it's lip service from us too, and so mm. we've got to do a better we've got to do a better job of showing actual results and showing what this administration and showing how we're actually going to be paying attention to voters of color and their specific requests and needs and, and what we're doing to earn their vote. So I, I definitely think there is still opportunity for growth and for cementing some of that voter loyalty for the Democratic Party. But I think it's going to require a lot of work. It's not just going to come. There's not the deep seated kind of generational voting habits that there are in maybe some other communities. There, there's a little bit of an analogy to this too, though. Uh, like I, I give it a warlike analogy where you're a military unit and you're defending folks against a bombardment and the folks you're defending are going, well, why aren't you going after them? Well, I'm too busy defending the bombardment right now to actually go on the offensive. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of that. And it's hard to quantify that to the voter at some point in time, but uh, again, Democrats have to do a better job, I think, of framing that, and I, th- I think we agree on that. Back to the map situation, I was talking with Senator Parent yesterday just about the partisan breakdown of these maps, and the state Senate map gives the GOP a 59% advantage, the House is 56.7%, and the congressional map, 64.3%. When I look at the last 10 years of presidential and gubernatorial elections, the best the GOP has ever done 
is 53%. Only within 3.5% of, of, of the worst representation that they're giving themselves uh, in any chamber. Um, I, I know that's not a voting rights argument, but is that not a, a, a pertinent argument for we've got to do something about gerrymandering? Well, you're right. And that, and that's, yeah, you're right. Those are two very different. And I think that's one of the, that's been some of the issue and how we've been talking to people in general about this issue over the last several months is like, people can kind of conflate the two issues. And the reality is the voting rights act specifically has to do with, with racial gerrymandering. Right. Political gerrymandering is atrocious and it's terrible. And it seemingly flies in the face of representative democracy, but it is a hundred percent legal. And it has been verified by the Supreme Court numerous times. Political gerrymandering, as terrible as most people think it is, is well within their right. And as bad as it is in Georgia, like there are some states that's even worse. North Carolina's political gerrymandering yeah. is some of the worst you've ever seen. And then when you talk about the imbalance between the overall split of voters. So on the one hand, I, I look at it like, well, thank God it could be worse. And I think it's only, the only reason it's not worse is just the geography of the population makes it hard for them to really do it in any kind of seemingly serious way. But, I mean, you're right, and there have been calls and there are organizations that have done a lot of good work um, around um, trying to get either a nonpartisan um, redistricting mm-hmm. board – that would be in charge of redrawing the maps uh, when it comes time for reapportionment. And that does happen in other states. California being one of the the, the largest examples um, has a nonpartisan citizens board that is in charge and tasked with redrawing districts um, during redistricting. And, you know, I think you have a solid argument for, for that. Um, but, you know, one thing I always say to folks in this cr- cuts across – you know, several different topics in politics, power never concedes power Mm -hmm. easily. Power doesn't, power doesn't concede. And so while I absolutely think it is rational and sane and makes a ton of sense for some type of independent redistricting board to be created, to be in charge of it, 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 you know, it ain't going to happen. It just, it's not, it's not going to happen until it's, until they're forced to, or until Democrats take power and then Democrats choose to do that. Uh, but the there's never going to be. I just, I it blows my mind to think of any scenario where the, a Republican controlled legislature is going to go that route. But yes, it's it would make the most sense and be the most fair way. But it's, I just don't see it happening, unfortunately. Well, it's nice to see the Democrats do it in California, but they also have to do it in states like Illinois. And uh, there there was some hint of that in New York. There's a, a bit of a nonpartisan uh, bent with the and, and that gave us. George Santos, who we'll uh, bring up uh, a little bit later in the conversation. We are with Andrew Heaton, who is the uh, principal and founder at Sagamore Hill Consultant, also uh, also a senior advisor with the Jerrica Richardson for Congress campaign. Uh, I wanted to ask you one more state uh, issue question before we go federal here. Um, Cop City resolution passed by a 144 to 5 vote today. And I know I've brought this up with you before. Uh, you seem to be less concerned about pushback or, or, or having any sort of effect on the grassroots movement in 2024. But I'm already seeing a lot of social media grousing about any Democrat who voted for that resolution uh, today in this special session uh, going to be having a hard time getting a lot of support from those on the grassroots. Yeah, it's always possible. You know, I, I haven't had a chance to sit down and look at which folks voted for it. There was only um, there were only five that voted against it, so it's pretty easy yeah. to figure out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So first off, let's wind it back just a minute ago what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Like every one of these districts, for the most part, is a safe district 
for the party of the incumbent. Sure. So we're talking about primaries, you know, and, and are any of these incumbents going to face a serious primary challenge mm. from the grassroots based on this singular vote? Mm. It, it's possible. And you're, and, and you're right. I think, I think the one thing that's changed the conversation is a lot of these grassroots are also the same grassroots who are highly motivated by what's going on with Israel, Palestine. Yes. And, and, and those two issues here locally have, have really kind of supercharged that deep left, hard left grassroots. Mm -hmm. And they are just, they are jacked and ready to go. I mean, my man, Bernie Sanders can't even catch a break with these folks because he won't say the word ceasefire. He's, he's saying everything but the word ceasefire, but he's not saying the word. And it is not enough for them and they are making it known. And so I will say since the last time we talked about it, that, that is, that has changed the landscape a little bit just in terms of just how much some of these grassroots might be itching for a fight. I'd still say for the vast majority of these incumbents who aren't from Atlanta Metro, Mm. who aren't in Atlanta city proper, Mm. like it's, it's still not really going to be anything that's going to keep them from probably easily winning their primary. Could it result in in a, in a pocket full of Atlanta-based legislators seeing some primary challenges? Yeah, very well could. I'd say the vast majority of them are probably not going to lose any sleep over it tonight. I'm more worried about the general election drag, which of course can have an effect on not just that candidate, but also up and down the ticket as well. Anyway, we're with uh, Andrew Heaton, principal and founder of Sagamore Hill Consulting and a senior advisor for the Jericho Richardson campaign. Back for more discussion after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of The Ron Show, we're with Andrew Heaton. He is the principal and founder of Sagamore Hill Consulting and a senior advisor for the Jericho Richardson for Congress campaign. And I know Jericho is just excited to be uh, to have the opportunity to perhaps join uh, the ranks of the Marjorie Taylor Greens. And we don't know, will she be taking down Rich McCormick? We, we really don't know that right now, but th- those two... <laughs> are at the heart of a squabble between the two of them right now. Your your thoughts on Marjorie Taylor Greene apparently being grabbed at the shoulders and shaken by Rich McCormick. Yeah, what a what a weird story and yet so fitting for what we've seen out of the Republican Congressional Caucus <laughs> over the last six months. Right, I mean, um, I'm in this awkward position where I'm supposed to believe all women and yet it's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Right. Uh, you're, you're exactly right. This is, this is someone who still to this day maintains the, the, the election was stolen lie, mm-hmm. um, who's, who still maintains several other, you know, conspiracy theories that some might call just flat out lies. Um, she may truly believe them. I don't know, but you know, uh, so yes, on the one hand, you, you want to believe, uh, you want to believe her and you want to, you want to take seriously the allegations, but at the same time you're dealing with someone who's shown themselves to be a bad faith actor in the past. So I'm really, I, I'm at a crossroads. I, I, it's hard for me to believe either of them hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Um, and, and, and especially given the context of, like we know how angry she was all the reports indicate because what this comes back to was congresswoman taylor green had introduced this resolution wanting to censure uh congresswoman uh to uh Tlaib mm-hmm. about comments she'd made about israel mm-hmm. the republican leadership didn't really want to advance it but then congressman uh, congressman mccormick a few days later introduces his own censor resolution about essentially the same thing and leadership decides to roll with that one. And it infuriated her, not because because you would think like, well, hey, it's 
if, if all you care about is censuring her, well, she's going to get censured. Mm-hmm. But that's not really what it was about, Ron. It was about fundraising. It was mm-hmm. about her getting to run with the fact that her censure resolution is the one, and she's the one taking the fight. And so she's mad that the spotlight got taken out, uh, taken off of her. Um, and so you can see why she was frustrated. I, but but like just the whole confrontation and who who's telling the 100% truth of the story? Ugh, I don't know. And <laughs> the pox on both their houses. I don't know. <laughs> Well, and she she has an opponent who has uh, stepped forward. Uh, we had him on the show here a few weeks ago. He says he uh, is uh, ready to roll, chomping at the bit. Comes with a military background, and I mean, maybe maybe he gives her a viable fight I mean, if 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 her lines even stay uh, somewhat the same, and they don't seem to have changed that much. Yeah, I know. I know a little bit about him, and I know some of his uh, his campaign staff. And we've been talking a little bit. Uh, obviously, we've been we've been focused on our race in the six, so we haven't. Made, I haven't made a ton of attention. Um, you know, and I, th- I think he as an individual is a great candidate and I think, you know, is, is worthy of, of the fight. Um, but, you know, I, it's, it's hard to get too excited just because, you know, Marcus Flowers raised an ungodly sum of money for a congressional race, la- race last time and still lost by around 30 points. Yeah, so it's just, true. again, we, we, we just go back to the lines and just it's. It's hard to find enough Democratic voters in that 14th district to really make a difference. It's a it's a tough fight. So I wish I wish him the best. And you know, obviously, I'm I will will be rooting for him. But it's it's gonna be an uphill battle, not because of his candidacy, just because of the way the lines are drawn. Yeah, we are talking about uh, Sean Harris, who we had on the show here a few weeks ago. I'll put that in the show notes at ronshowatl.com. All right, so um, last one here. The the house makeup is it's teetering on the brink here. I mean, we're down to what is it 220 with uh, Kevin McCarthy leaving, Democrats with 213. And uh, George Santos is gone as well. Uh, Your thoughts on all, why is McCarthy just willing to step down? Is he that butthurt about losing the, 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 the house speakership? I mean, I, I definitely absolutely think he's bitter. I mean, there's, there's no question. Well, you know, and it's, it's funny. You, you go back, I don't know, decade and a half, getting close to two decades at this point. You look at those guys that were on the cover of young guns (laughs) And 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 him and Cantor and Ryan, like they were they were supposed to be the future. And you know, Cantor leaves and yeah. then Ryan Lee yeah, and yeah. Cantor Cantor lost a primary yeah. and then Ryan essentially, you know, realizes he can't hold on power in a Trump presidency because he doesn't really have any power in a Trump presidency. And then McCarthy finally, like, this is all McCarthy ever wanted. All he ever like, and, and it's been clear for years. All McCarthy ever wanted was to be Speaker of the House, mm. and he finally got it, and got, I mean, just essentially turned on by a mutiny. And I think he, once that happened, once that happened, the die was cast. Like, the the one thing he'd ever really wanted out of being in Congress, he had been he'd gotten, and then it had been snatched right away from him. And you could just tell over the last several months, like he was. You could just see it. He was done. And so it's not shocking to me uh, that, yeah, to answer your question, yes, he is that hurt. And he just wants to go back to California and be done with it all and go go start making, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll have a comfortable lobbying gig waiting for him. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. So uh, we'll have two special elections, one in New York, one in California. I think New York uh, Democrats have a chance. I haven't looked at McCarthy's district. Is there a chance for us to pick that up? Um, I don't think so. But I do. I do. Th- I agree with you. I think the New York seat is – is definitely a potential uh, pickup. That was a that was a closer race, um, and and you know that 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 was one of those seats that was lost in kind of the general, 
New York dim mismanagement of the 2022 mm-hmm. midterms where we lost several seats that we probably should not have lost. Um, so I think, I think, I definitely think that there's some real opportunity for that to be a pickup there. Andrew Heaton, Sagamore Hill Consulting, and also a senior advisor for the Jericho Richardson for Congress campaign. Good luck wherever you guys wind up uh, campaigning. And uh, thank you for joining us on the Ron Show today. Absolutely. Always happy to be here, Ron. Real quick before we go, we're seeing the University of Georgia football schedule for 2024 leaked early. We start off against Clemson, and then it's a throwaway game against Tennessee Tech at Kentucky, a bye week, and then at Alabama, and then Auburn, and then Mississippi State at Texas, another bye week before Florida. At Ole Miss, well, that's tough. Tennessee, good to see them. UMass and Georgia Tech. No Vandy, no South Carolina. Eh. I'll post that in the day's show notes as well at ronshowetl.com. Back tomorrow at 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Have a good one.